We would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. And you may have figured out it's called This is Church. And so we are going to be focusing over the next few weeks on what it means to be church, what it means to be the church. I think that we have a wrecked definition of that in modern culture, especially in uh, Western culture. We have had our ideas and our ideology and even our doctrines corrupted by our Western way of thinking, and we need to get back to what it means to be the body of Christ. We need to get back to what it means so that we can present an image to this world, not of harvest, not an image of any denomination, but we can present to this world the image of Jesus. And my friend, that's why it's called This Is Church. Why? Because he loved the church. He died for the church. We live in a very confused world today. We live in a world that stands uh, uh, stands in one area one moment and then jumps ship when it's popular to go to another opinion. The, the world is very confused about its identity, but unfortunately, I feel like the church in general has become very confused about its identity in a world that is lost. When you cannot tell the difference between the world and the church, there's a massive problem building. And there's been this problem's not been building over a year or two years or three years. This problem's been building for decades and generations where we cannot seem to tell the world apart from the church. The world was, you know, Jesus said, I've called you to, you know, to, to not be of the world, but to be in the world. He, he challenged us to live in this world. He said, you got to be in it, but don't, you don't have to be of it. You do not have to take the identity of the world in order to be accepted by the world because the point of this is we're not going to be accepted by the world like, like some people are craving to be accepted. And so I want us to get a hold of this over the next few weeks as we, we focus our attention that there, you know, church, the church is plan A. God has no plan B. Uh, the, you know, this all the hopes, the dreams, and the, the, the aspirations of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were poured into the body of Christ, which was about, uh, it started off with about 12 guys, and then it ended up with about a, a, a little over 100 people as they watched him ascend back to the Father. And he said, look, I want you to understand that this is my church. This is who I have died for, and I am ready to do an amazing work, but you need to go and tarry to get power to do it. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about plan, his plan for the church, his vision for the church, the identity of the church, the purpose of the church, and the mission of the church. Our desire is to present to this world what church is supposed to be. Simply put, we want to be able to look at the world and say to them, this is church. Not what you thought it was, but this is church. It is church built upon what Jesus said it should be. Matthew, we've got a couple of anchor verses I'm going to throw at you today, but our, one of those is Matthew 16 and 18, which says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then Ephesians 1 verses 22 through 23 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, we're going to be looking at the lordship of Christ over his church this morning, the identity of the church this morning. That's the first thing we're going to take on. And we're, we're going to use uh, these two verses to kind of anchor us in all that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. 
You see, I believe that there's a lot of church bashing that's went on, and some of it is, is been because it has been merited, but some of it is unmerited. As a matter of fact, just because it is a flawed thing, and you know why the church is flawed? But look at somebody and say, because of you. Come on, get in and say, you know why the church is messed up? Because of you. And because of me, because we are human beings. And anytime you get humans involved in something, they're going to mess it up. You know, the Garden of Eden was perfect and divine, and it was great. But then the Lord said, I'm going to put a couple of people in it. And guess what happened? They messed it all up. Amen. People tend to mess things up. Amen? People tend to wreck things. How many of you, you've been having a good day, and one person can cause you to have a bad day? All right? People tend to do it. Why? Because human beings are people, uh, are a work in progress. They, they literally can mess things up. It's difficult to find a stronger bond than the one between Christ and his church. Just because it's flawed does not mean he doesn't love it. Just because it messes up doesn't mean, look, the reason it messes up is because it has people in it. Churches aren't buildings or locations or names or catchphrases. Churches are not pastors and they're not worship teams. Churches are places where those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and transformed by the power of the cross gather together to celebrate the one who brought them out of darkness into light. If that's not what you're looking for, you're in the wrong building. You're in the wrong place because I'm going to celebrate Jesus this morning. How about you? Because he's done a work in my life. We've got to realize and surrender to the lordship of Christ over his church. It's difficult to find a stronger bond. Anyway, some of this has been birthed out of a lot of things that I have witnessed through my life and some of them I've witnessed through the years. Now, I've watched church. Do you ever just sit down and read about the early church and, and, and say there's no comparison? This is so different from what we live today. It's got to be, the there's, there's something wrecked in it. Uh, when I read the book of Acts and I look at where we're at today, so I, 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 does, is, am I the only one that struggles with that as you read and see the things that God did and the things that were accomplished in the church of Acts and God says, I'm still the same God. What does the Bible declare? He is Jesus Christ. What? Yesterday, today, and forever, past, present, and future. He's still the same Jesus. He's still the same same Lord. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is still the same Holy Spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. I want you to understand today the same God that dwelled with them in the upper room is the same God that dwells in this house today. I wonder if anybody feels that this morning. It's the same God. Not a different spirit, not a different God. Same God. And that God is here and he's ready to do amazing things in our lives if we'll let him. But church has been bashed, I, I, you know, I, as a matter of fact, and I, I, I'm just going to call things the way they are. There's, a, there, there's been people in our community that stand up and boldly declare that churches in this community have failed people. But yet I look during a time of greatest need when we were going through floods, where did people turn to? The body of Christ for help the body of Christ for help. We may be messed up and we may fall short, but aren't you thankful that when it counts, we can pull it together in Jesus' name and we can do what we need to do to work like crazy to minister to the needs of a lost and hurting world. Don't give up on God's plan A because there is no plan B. Don't give up on God's plan A. I mean, don't, don't forsake it. Don't think there's a better idea out there. There's not a better idea than what Jesus originally 
formed and shaped and established himself. In other words, it is difficult to find a stronger bond between Christ and the church. The New Testament uses imagery uh, of the head of the body to indicate the importance of the Lord Jesus for his uh, the Lord Jesus and his love for his church. In other words, he's saying without without the head you can't function. Now, if you lost your head this morning, your body ain't going to do too much. All right? You just think I'm out of my head, but there's a difference between out of your head and losing your head. Amen. Some of y'all might be a little bit crazy. It's all right. It's all right. Everybody's got a little bit of crazy. You know what? I've found that everybody's a little bit emotionally unstable. It's just different degrees. Different degrees. There's nothing wrong with that. That's who we are. That's how we are, and God's working on us. Amen? Look at somebody and look at them and say, hey, back off. God's working on me. He's up on the pressure. Amen. The New Testament uses these imageries because it wants to show the connection. The church has various attributes derived from the Bible, such as unity, holiness, purpose, and mission. I want you to think about that. These come from the Bible. Besides these, we can, disting- we can distinguish more characteristic- characteristics and aspects in the life of the church. Multiple situations and circumstances can play uh, a-, a determining role, and this would explain why there are all sorts of differences within church. There's cultural differences. If you, you, if you go uh, from our church to a Hispanic congregation or a Korean congregation, or if you go uh, to, to Greece, like I, or where I lived many, many years ago, there are cultural differences that shape, the, shape that church. There's language differences. Amen. Uh, you, you go to the different places, there may be a different language that's spoken and worshiped in and, uh, and, and, and you know, they praise God in. As a matter of fact, um, I don't know a whole lot of Russian, but I did learn one phrase in Russian and it was Slava Loboga, which means praise the Lord. Amen. So when they would get going, I wouldn't know what they were saying, but I could say, hey, Slava Loboga. You know, I was, I was with them. I was with them in that. And so what are you, what are you saying? There's, there's language difference. There's historical perspectives. And these historical perspectives can be historically biblical perspectives, and then they can also be denominational historical perspective. Even personal and political factors determine the organization and, and the atmosphere and the image of some churches in some communities. All of this has a bearing in some way to the identity of a church. Now, I said all of that, and I threw it all out there to just simply say we are shaped by our environment. We are shaped by our environment, and church has been shaped by its environment. And I'm going to tell you where you've got an environment of praise and worship, and, 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 and you're going to have an environment that, that shapes that church. Their idea is going to be built upon those principles. And guess what? If you've got a church that's strong, biblically based, they're going to, you know what? They're going to look at you, and they're going to say, no, 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 we don't need all the worship. We just need the Bible. And then you've got those who say, you know, we are, we're, we're just, you know, anything goes. I mean, as long as it feels good, we're going to praise God. We're just going to worship God. And, and, and the Bible is just suggestive. Uh, that's a very dangerous place, but there are churches that build their culture upon that. What are you saying, pastor? All of this has bearing on who we think that we are, and if we're not careful, we're going to lose our identity. We're going to lose our identity, and our true identity is not what we have seen in the past. The true identity of the church, I'm going to tell you something. It's messed up. It's flawed. It's got its problems, but it is still the blood-bought, sanctified people of God who, when they really seek the face of the Lord. You see, I just happen to be one that feels like before the coming of Jesus, before he returns, that the church is going to get itself together. Amen? That, the, that he is not coming back for a limping, weak bride. Oh, my goodness. How would you 
feel you're at a wedding and, and you know, you're the groom and you're saying, okay, here comes the bride. If Tina had walked around the corner and, you know, and she's wearing some dirty, nasty gown and, and she's dragging her feet and she's like, you know, looking and, and you know, you know, makeup looks like she's, you know, trying to be the Joker from Batman and, and you know, and she's coming down the aisle. I'm going to tell you what this groom would have done. I'd probably said, hey, uh, I got something to do. Well, that's very superficial. Oh, yeah, well, you're just holier than I am, I guess. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that if this imagery of the bride and the imagery of Jesus and the imagery of church is all put together, there is some, look, I'm just going to say it plain and simple. I don't believe Jesus is coming back for a defeated church. I believe he's coming back for a glorious church, a church that is pushing back the gates of hell, not having the gates of hell prevail against it. Because what did he say in our anchor verse? He said, Peter, <laughs> he said, upon this rock, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Unfortunately, how many of us could raise our hands or say, we know of churches where the gates of hell have not just prevailed, they have destroyed. They have devoured. They have come in and tore it apart. I will defend the unity of this church viciously if necessary because God placed me to be the shepherd of the flock. I'll fight off the wolves if I need to because in the power of the Holy Spirit, there is unity. And if there's not unity, then there's a door. It got quiet, didn't it? You know why? Because we've had too much weakness behind the pulpit. And we have allowed the devil to destroy and destroy and destroy what is precious to God, the apple of his eye, his church, his... Listen, folks, God's ready to do amazing things. How many want to do more than just read the book of Acts? How many want to live it? If you want to live it, I'm giving you the ingredients to live in it. I want to see God do amazing things. Some of you need healing this, week, this year. Right now, you need healing in your body. Aren't you ready to get it? Then it's going to take us discovering our true identity. Amen? The Bible, or in other words, the essential biblical identity of the church, however, is found in their relationship between Christ, or between themselves and Christ. In other words, uh, there's a lot of different Greek words, but when you break it all down, you know what church means? It means belong to the Lord, those who belong to the Lord. And that word belong even goes into a deeper meaning is that, that they are sold out to the Lord. Those who are sold out. So it is possible to be in church and not be sold out to the Lord. It is possible for us to attend church our whole life and not really be a part of what he's talking about here. Amen. This explains why this relationship means, means that most of us uh, uh, find our identity in it. In other words, questions immediately begin to arise in our minds about this. In other words, I look and I see a, a, a lot of, uh, of churches that exist. And again, I'm not thinking of, of a particular name of a church. And I don't want you to necessarily think of a particular name. Well, I don't know what church he's talking about. No, you don't. No, you don't. I'm talking about in the grand scope of things. And when I'm talking, I'm talking about what I see biblically worldwide, what I see in America today, I am seeing a, a fundamental failure of relational ministry, of relational gospel. We, we, we are failing to see what church and the foundation was. Upon this rock, I will build my church. We're going to get into that in a moment and of what he means. Matthew 16, verses 13 and 18 tells us the whole story. Now, when Jesus came into the 
district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, that I the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, others say a prophet. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's our anchor verse. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the, uh, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, he is saying it is possible if we're not careful to be in a church and be part of a church, but not be the church that God is declaring we should be because we don't have the relationship with God that we're supposed to have. What is that relationship that I recognize him for who he is, that I recognize God, for our, our, my Savior for, for who he is on this earth? Uh, in other words, who Christ is is a central question for the church. In order for us to, uh, to, to proceed, we have to ask, is he just our Savior? Is he the Lord of everything? Is that another thing? Where, where, in other words, is, he, is that where it ends, that he's Lord over all? Is it that he is the untouchable God that is dif- distant? That's some people think that. And then it goes on and says, did, did he uh, come to establish a relationship between the holy God and sinful man? There's no trick question involved. The answer is number three. Uh, the last one, did he come to establish a relationship between a holy God and sinful man? No trick to it. Although he is Lord over everything, although he did save us from our sins, he, and although he was untouchable and distant because of my sin, he bridged the gap. He took the hand of a holy God, the Father, and he bridged the gap between man, a sinful man, and a holy God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do what you cannot do for yourselves. And upon that rock, that revelation that Jesus was not just a prophet, a poet, or a rabbi, he was the son of the living God. You see, the first place we find our identity is not in each other, not in a cool t-shirt, not in a a great catchphrase, or an excited praise and worship team, or even a dynamic pastor. You're supposed to amen that. Anyhow, we don't find our identity in those things. You know where we find our identity? We find our identity in the old rugged cross. It's not outdated. It's not old-fashioned. It is because of the cross that we're here today. I wonder if somebody will jump to their feet and praise him for the saving power of the cross. The saving power. This is church. Amen. He came to reclaim the broken relationship between man and the Father. If Christ is the head of his body, then the church has been redeemed through that same blood. I want you to think about how many of you have a driver's license or a photo ID? If you do, raise your hand. All right, if you don't, we're taking names and reporting you for driving here without a license. You realize that the head, that you know, you just get the head. The head only represents one-fifth of the body. One-fifth of the body. I want you to think about that. That picture will clearly identify who you are based on just one-fifth of who you are. If Jesus is the head of the church, we need to be identified solely by him. Oh, my God. Help me preach this this morning. 
People need to see him before they see us. And if they see us and they don't see him, we have failed to be what he called us to be. It is time that we lift up Jesus in, in Chattooga County. It's time that we lift up Jesus all over Georgia. It's time that we, when people mention us, they are talking about him. I don't know their name, but I know his name, and it's lifted up at that church. That's their identity. That's their identity. The identity of the church rests upon the lordship of Christ. It is important to note it is impossible to have church without, it is possible to have church without the presence of Christ or the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? You can have church without God being in it. You can exclude God from the service. You can exclude God from, from church service and you can sing. You can dance, you can shout, you can speak in tongues and prophesy. But what, is, what does the Bible say about all those things in Corinthians? He says, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. Well, guess who love is? The Bible says God is love. If we don't have God, we got nothing. If we don't have Jesus, we got nothing. I don't care how cool this is and how great this is and how many programs you have. You can have all the programs in the world and not have Jesus in the middle of all of it. We need Jesus in this church like we've never had him before. Like we've never had him before. Amen. You're saying we ain't had Jesus? I believe we have, but we got we to gotta step it up. There's two levels of our identity that he's looking for. And listen, the church has been shaped by different things. And some of our identity has been shaped by, by, by pastors. Yes, you know, I'm, talk, I'm talking historically here. It's been shaped by pastors, the reformers, kings, denominationalism, persecution, political pressure, economic setbacks, philosophy developments, and recently by pandemics uh, present and past. It has helped shape the identity of the church. But we need to understand, at times we recognize national these, these characteristics in certain church regulations. In other words, it has affected the church. We have allowed too much of the world to creep in and corrupt what the church is. That is why everybody is throwing stones at the church. Look, I don't mind if you throw stones because I'm standing up for Jesus, but when you throw stones because I've taken an incorrect political stand because it's going to fill more seats, or I've taken a non-biblical political stand because I'm going to put more people in the seats, i got news for you. I'd rather preach to five that will change the world than 5,000 that get their ears tickled every Sunday. I want, I want some world changers. How about you? You know, when it all boiled down to it, Jesus' congregation shrunk to 11. All the thousands, all the multitudes, it shrunk to 11. And then he looked at those 11 and he says, now I poured everything into you and now you're going to pour it into this world. And later on it would be written, these were the men that turned the world upside down. Oh my goodness. I want to be a world flipper. I want to be a world changer. How about you? And you know what? That is not so they will know who we are. It's so that they will know who he is. You've never had a pastor save you. You've never had a worship song save you. I got saved listening to, I had a friend saved listening to Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. <laughs> the altar's open. I'm just kidding. But he got saved listening to that song. Had a cousin of mine saved at an ACDC concert singing, I'm on a highway to hell. And all of a sudden, he realized he was. You say, God can't move in an ACDC concert. God can move anywhere, anytime, any place he wants to because he's God. And he doesn't need my permission. 
and he doesn't need your permission. He's God. He's God. Aren't you ready for that kind of God to start showing up in our day? Well, guess how he'll show up when you show up and represent. Amen. Look at somebody and say, you need to represent. The demon of denominationalism has destroyed a lot of churches. I hate denominationalism. Denominationalism was not a, a God idea. It was a man idea. You know how it came about? Because people couldn't get along. You know how it came about? Because people argued over doctrine instead of searching the Scriptures to find what the Bible had to say instead of listening to a whole bunch of people's opinions. At age 18, sitting in a college dorm room, I rejected it all. I said, everything, God, everything. I reject everything but the cross and what it means in my life. And I ask you to rebuild what I think based upon the Scripture, not upon what I've been taught, not upon what man's opinions have been poured into me. I want to know what true, the Bible calls it true religion. In other words, I want to know what the real thing is. And God began to rebuild me step by step, brick by brick, and what I think. And I'm going to tell you, my theology don't line up with anybody's denomination unless their denomination lines up with the Bible. I'm going to base what I think off of the integrity of the Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what you need to base what you believe off of. Amen? And if you've sought something that's wrong, don't be afraid to back up and punt because you don't have to die being right. Amen? It's more important just to be right. Amen? Be right. Be right with God. Be right about what you think because, listen, Denominationalism has destroyed the integrity of churches through the years. People separated into like theologies and ideologies. The church that once was one place and one body with one purpose has been divided up. Listen, the Bible, I want you to think about this. How many heads does the church have? The answer is one. I don't want anybody getting it wrong. One. Who's the head of the church? Christ, Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Help everybody out. Jesus is the head of the church. And the Bible describes one body. But you know what a denomination is? You got a body here, a body there. Do you realize there are 40,000 recognized denominations worldwide? Now, if you see something with 40,000 bodies and one head, do you call that the glorious church of, of the living God or do you call that a monster? I call it a monster. And that's what the world's seen coming at them. Oh, you know. Go our way, tearing and pulling. This is the way. This is it. This is how you do Listen, find out what God wants because I'm telling you what he's coming back for is not a monster. It's the glorious church of the living God purchased by his blood. He's coming back for one body. Amen. They're not going to be waving a denominational flag saying we're it. It's truth. They're not going to be this one saying, no, no, they're not right. We're it. He's coming back for those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, and are living according to the Word of God. Amen? And not their own opinions. Because I'm going to tell you something. I want you to look at somebody. Everybody get your preaching finger ready. Remember, if you're new at Harvest, I get you to preach to each other. I want you to look at the person you're preaching to, and I want you to tell them, unless your opinion... 
is based upon the Word of God, it's worthless. I don't care what you think. I care what God says. Now look at them and go, Amen. Because they should amen you. The church has a divine purpose and a divine... Look, we have a divine purpose to fulfill. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 gives us our divine purpose. Yes, we are to love God and to love people into the kingdom, to see the lost world rescued by the, the, the power of the cross, but not only rescued, but sanctified, cleansed, restored, filled with the Spirit, amen, so that it might fulfill its divine purpose. By the way, do you realize that you have a divine purpose? Now, look at that same person you just spoke to, and I want you to ask them, say, do you know what? Say, I have a divine purpose. Look at them again say, do you know what? Some of y'all ain't emphasizing the what. It's important. So do you. You have a divine purpose. You just wasn't, you wasn't meant just to stumble around on this earth. You weren't just meant to, to exist. You have a divine calling and divine purpose. And I'm going to share these in closing today. Number one, we, have to, we are called to unity. Ephesians 4, the unity of the body of Christ is important, and we must defend it, church. Defend it. At all costs, out of unity, great things happen. That's why the devil challenges it at every turn. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul talking, writing from prison, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. That doesn't mean doing what you think. That means listening to the Spirit and obeying Him. Why? Because he says on verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there it is. There is one body, not 40,000, and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope, uh, are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity between us and Christ, unity within our homes, unity within our relationships with others, and unity within the body of Christ, the church of the living God. My friends, this is church. Unity. Mm. Holiness. Everybody say holiness. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be like the world. Church, we got to get rid of the world in our lives. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. Holiness, holiness in our attitudes, holiness in how we handle people, holiness in how we present ourselves in public, holiness in how we represent the kingdom of God on this earth and his righteousness outside the church walls, not just inside the church walls. We must re represent a change of not just heart, but a change of the way we 
we think. You say, well, my opinion believes that this is politically correct. I could care less what your politics say. I want to know what thus saith the word of the Lord because your politics won't save you, but the word of God will. The Constitution of the United States is a great document, but there is not salva no salvation found in it. It is found in the word of God. It is the words that lead to life. Let's get back to what matters. Let's get back to what's important. And let's base our opinions and our thoughts and our hopes on the Word of God. Because when you're judged one day, you're not going to be judged off of what you think. You're not going to be judged on what great theologian you may adhere to. You're not going to be judged on what Pastor Phil says, unless I'm preaching truth. You're going to be judged on what? Thus saith the Word of the Lord. Number three, look at somebody and say purpose and mission. Matthew 25, 28, verses 16 through 19. Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Boy, I like that part because that really puts some human twist on it, doesn't it? These guys had just watched Jesus for three, and approximately three, three and a half years, heal the sick, you know, open the eyes of the blind, make the deaf to hear, uh, feed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch and all those good things. They watched all those miracles, the cleansing of the leper. They watch him go to the cross, die on the cross. They put him in a tomb and on the third day he rises from the dead. Oh my goodness. And he spins. He had, you know why he had to hang out after he res was resurrected? Because of this verse right here, some doubted. It didn't say, oh, all those people with him. No, the Bible says he went with the 11 and some doubted. I want you to think about that. They had witnessed all these things, but some doubted. Now, I've never watched somebody walk out of a grave, but if I had, that might be a life-changing experience for me. How about you? That might be a memorable event. But some doubted. You see, I believe this is included so that we might see that these men, just like us, are human. Just like us, are flawed. Just like us, have to have that extra push. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Even though they doubted, he still blessed them to do the work. Church must be a place of worship. Amen? That's what I get out of this verse. Must be a place where we gather to worship, but we need to do more than just come here to worship. We need to come here to celebrate and worship what God's been doing all week long in our families and in our community and in our jobs and our schools, that we come here to celebrate the work of the ministry that's went on outside these walls. The church must have a go mentality. Look at somebody and say, you need a go mentality. In other words, we got to have a go. Uh, I'll use the King James in that, the go ye. Go ye, that's you, by the way. Go, 
you got to have a go mentality, a do mentality. You just can't sit by and enjoy the blessings in here. We've got to move outside of here. And this year in 23, I am going to be challenging us to be more service-minded than we've ever been before, to reach more than we've ever reached before, to be a church that has legs outside these walls, that we are expanding our territory. Oh, we may meet here to celebrate, but when we go out of here, that's when we're going to have church. Why? Because this is church. Amen. That's what it's supposed to be. The church must remember our mission is not just to save people, but to make them disciples. The churches in this world have failed at this, at truly making disciples. False doctrines and theologies have corrupted the altar calls of America in this world. The once and done theology is damning souls to hell every day. Universalism is damning souls to hell every day. Lazy Laodicean mentality. Oh my goodness. And if I could have put there, I would have had, I had a spell with God after that one. The lazy Laodicean mentality. What is the lazy Laodicean mentality? Laodicea is a church in Revelations that lost their place with God because they became lukewarm and powerless. Lukewarm and powerless. How many of you want to be a part of a church that's lukewarm and powerless? I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that's on fire for God. I want to be a part of a church that has has freedom and power and ministry going on and miracles and wonders happening. How about you? Lukewarmness is killing churches. It's killing the passion of the church. And I'm going to tell you, if you can kill passion in a relationship, you've killed the relationship. My office is full of people who come for counseling with their marriage, and the passion in their marriage is gone. They don't, they don't get butterflies with each other anymore. You say, oh, that's puppy love. No, you still need to get butterflies. You still need to remember why you first started loving one another. Like Carrie and Brad going to Winter Jam to celebrate their first date. I read. I saw that. She holds your hand anytime during that? I thought so. Good move, Brad. Good move. Let's go to Winter Jam, baby. Aren't you glad they... I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm just not... Edit, edit, edit. Let's see where we go. All right. Declaring to this world that we love God is one thing, but we must show that love to people. We must change the narrative. Oh, my goodness. Jacob, we got to change the narrative of the church. Telling them is not enough. We must be a show them church. Show them the love of God. Show them the compassion of the Spirit. Show them the life-changing power of Christ. Church must be a place of relationships and growth, not just relationships with the people I think I need relationships with, but relationships with everybody that I can be. Church is a place where we learn to love God and to learn to love others. Church must be, oh, goodness. Church must be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Of this world. Are you hearing me? We must change the narrative. We must be the ones to affect the environment. If you're on a negative job situation, then you be the thermostat to change the environment. 
And when people say, you know what, it's just different when I'm around you saying, you know why it's different around me? Because I brought Jesus in the room. I brought Jesus into the picture, into the equation. It is a time, it is a time when God is demanding that we melt the wax of our hearts because the Bible says, because iniquity shall abound in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. We need to regain our heart and we need to regain our heartbeat with a passion towards Christ and the lost world around us. In summary, it simply said this, this is church. This is our identity. This is what we're supposed to be. Will you stand? A lot of times I give altar calls and we kind of, we stay back and we hold back. But it's just a simple appeal. Who's tired of not being what God has called us to be? And if that's you, I want you to start to make your way before the first notes played on a keyboard or a guitar. Because I'll just be honest with you, it's not about the worship this morning up here. It is about what you do with what's just been given. Who's ready to see change in our community? Who's ready to show more to this world than just, hey, I'm on this team, I'm on that team? Who's ready to say, no, I'm on Christ's team? This is church. And it's not a bad word. It's full of flawed people. Yes, it is. It's got hypocrites in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also a place where we iron out the wrinkles. Sandy, we do it together. We don't do it separate. We do it together with the help of God. And we love each other. Oh, my goodness. I'm calling especially to our leadership in this church. It's time to recapture our passion. Our passion for people, our passion for purpose. It's time. Don't get distracted. Don't do it. Listen to me this morning. God's ready to do something in your life. I have delivered my heart today. But more importantly, I've delivered, I feel like, the heart of God today. Are you ready to be what God's called you to be, Harvest? Then this call is for you. And it's not the pastor asking you. I'm telling you, there's a call of the Holy Spirit going out in this church today saying, come, come. Come talk to me. Come deal with me. Come, come let me work on your life. Let me melt the wax away if it's there. We got to leave the past in the past. Some of us, we've been victims for so long, we don't know how to be anything but a victim. It's time to lay that victim mentality down and start being a victorious and not a victim. Will you come? Will you come? We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. 
If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.